Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today, as we record here in the very hot time of September, I would like to introduce you to David Barber. So David, say hi to everyone. Hello. We are so happy to have you on the show. You guys, all my podcast listeners know that I record a little early, so David's episode probably won't be coming out until we get into winter and cold, and we won't be able to believe it, will we, David? It'll be cold sometime soon. <laughs> Today, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. In December, I may have a different answer. but Yeah, that's totally my case all the time. So David, let's introduce you to the listeners just a little bit, and first tell us, Um, what state you're residing in the Pacific Northwest? I live in Washington State. The closest place you can get gas is a little town called Yackel. I'm actually quite a ways from that. I live right on the border of the National Forest down here. So I frequently have bears and things like that in my yard. You're in the woods. (laughs) We are. Yep, for sure. Yeah, but it's beautiful, isn't it? There's nothing like the Pacific Northwest woods at all. <laughs> we love it. We really do. Yeah. I like to do a lot of hiking. I do a lot of kayaking in the summer. And so we're just winding up our kayaking trips, my husband and I. And nothing better than the Pacific Northwest summertime, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's brief, but it's wonderful while it's here. We try to make the most of it. True. Very true. Very true. So before we jumped on, you and I were both finishing up our day job. So why don't you share with us what your day job is? Or are you lucky? Because I know you're finishing it up because you told me that. But are you lucky in your writer full time? I, I have a day job. I work for a large entity that allows me to work from home. My writing has turned very much into kind of a profitable side hustle over the oh, last cool. few years. That's and I'm looking forward to retiring and then writing full time. I think that's a very realistic goal at this point. So That is such great news. I needed to hear that, David, from someone else because my podcast, writing, everything that I do right now is all side hustle. And love to hear the fact that somebody else is making it and they could make their side hustle their main thing. So that's good to know. <laughs> Absolutely. A lot of folks try to want to know if they can do independent publishing or writing full time. And it certainly can, but there's a middle ground there where you can, maybe in that time you'd otherwise be watching TV or something, you can produce some books and it can make a big difference when you look back over the year, what you've made. So it's nice. Yeah, so true. So true. So we'll talk a little bit about publishing a little bit later on. We'll dive into that. But first, we're still getting to know you a little bit. So a lot of authors I ask when they come on, we're all told as authors that we need to be um, pretty avid readers. So what is sitting on David's nightstand right now? You're reading. I am almost done with Keith McCafferty's novel, The Bangtail Ghost. Mm -hmm. If you don't know Keith, he writes the Sean Stranahan mystery series, which is set in Montana. And this latest one, I forget which one it is. It's maybe the 12th book in the series, deals with cougars or mountain lions, what some people would call them. Yeah. And it's a great read. I'm real close to the end, and I think I'll probably stay up too late tonight. To finish, to finish it. it, yeah, yeah. I know we're heading into our Labor Day weekend, and I'm just so excited because more kayaking, more reading, <laughs> more everything for a couple of days. So cougar story. So my husband and I were kayaking down the 
Cowlitz River, really it's just floating down the Cowlitz River. Right. <laughs> and we were in a pretty spot where there wasn't a lot going on, not a lot of trees and stuff. We were coming to a house and I spotted, I swear, it was too big to be a regular cat, too big to be a dog, but it was definitely, I think, a cougar. And it was coming from the back of someone's house along and hit itself in the tree line down there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I just saw one. Because we live in an area where we hear about them all the time. We know they're there, but you don't see them very often. Yeah. I spend a lot of times in the woods and I've only caught two fleeting glimpses. I'm, a, I'm an animal tracker. Oh, okay. So I, I catch sign occasionally, yeah. but we have cameras here on our property and we, we catch them on camera from time to time. Gotcha. But you can walk right to the spot where you know that big 150 pound animal just walked and those big soft paws don't even leave much of an impression. So I think they're here more than we realize. They probably are. I do know a lot of my friends that live out in the woods. So this is all Northwest talk for those who aren't from the Northwest. This is right. stuff we talk about. Um, that live out in the woods. They really have to keep their little animals in because that's something that they can definitely know is going to be snacking on the little dogs and cats. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your book series because from what I... Uh, remember from your website, you have two book series, correct? You want to tell us a little bit about each one of them? I do. I first published in 2017 with the the Dent Miller Thriller series. The first book in that series is named Rose City Freefall. Mm-hmm. That's a, a gritty, noirish crime thriller series. And those books have done well. And I keep asking when I'm going to write book number four. No, I love Uh, that. (laughs) People keep asking me that. And then my latest book is a book called The Valley of Lost Children. Mm -hmm. And it's a, what I call a wilderness thriller, or I'm sorry, a wilderness mystery. Mm -hmm. So it's a little different, a little more of a reflection on what I'm up to in my life right now. Uh, The protagonist is a wildlife tracker and, and woodsman. And he gets involved in some hijinks set right where I live. His his sidekick is a friend of his who's also a woodsy kind of guy. And he teams up with the local librarian and some Ooh, people like that <laughs> to solve a mystery, which may or may not have a supernatural element. I love it. But the title comes from legends about the Yakult Valley here, about children disappearing and evil spirits and some things like that. I'm not going to give away too much. From okay, don't, because I want to read it, because it's right up my alley. It's set in a setting that I'm terrified of going out hiking in the forest and find, finding dead bodies. Like, it's like a <laughs> legit fear I have. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe I've watched too many crime shows. I don't know. It, it does happen. <laughs> I know it does. And, and also, I'm a librarian. You probably didn't know that about me, but I started to call myself the author's librarian, so you, you guys might see that on my website. And my mission, besides the podcast and writing, is to help authors do research and do good research for their writing, not just Google and Wikipedia. So that's my new mission in life. <laughs> so. I think that's outstanding because I read books from time to time and be an otherwise excellent book. I'm familiar with a lot of police procedures and mm-hmm. things with the military and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And there will just be that little wrong note in there where the author didn't quite get it. And that's a good service 
that you're yeah. offering there? We're just launching it. I'm gonna. I started with one mini course for authors. I I have a vision of myself retiring and writing and doing podcasts and helping authors and research. So I'm just building that platform. I'm not anywhere near where you're at. <laughs> I'm not ready to you know retire yet, if, unless everything kind of gets moving. But uh, I'm still ten years out from retiring. Okay, but I'm, good. I'm, I'm, I'm a planner. <laughs> Me too. Good. Okay. So the first, now are all your series, are you self-published? I am. I am. They've all all been self-published. And I think that's probably where I'll stay unless somebody offers me something with a lot of zeros in it. I'll probably remain self-published. Well, you get a lot more control in self-publishing from what I'm learning. I do not know this for a fact myself because I'm still in the, I don't know what kind of publishing I'm going to do yet stage with my book. I I have a book series I'm working on. My first manuscripts done going through edits, had readers and a writer's group work on it with me. And so I'm in that I don't know yet. Am I going to pitch to an agent? Am I going to try to self-publish? I'm not 100% sure yet. So what helped you make the decision to be a self-published author? I I think one of the strengths that I have for this business is I do have that creative impulse that lets me write books. And I'm able to shift into a different mindset and make business decisions. Mm -hmm. And when it was time to decide which way to go, I value a lot of control personally, and I try to avoid relationships where there's an imbalance of power, and particularly if they're long-term and they involve a lot of money. I don't even have a cell phone contract. I I go month to month on that, right? (laughs) That works out best for me. All of my business relationships are severable. If Amazon does something that is not in my best interest, I could leave tomorrow. I, I don't know what that would look like, but... And folks... They sign traditional deals and they work out great. And then sometimes it starts off well, agents die or publishers get fired or companies merge. And, and that's not a really a severable relationship once you've sold those rights. Yeah. So that was my decision. If I were searching for literary acclaim, if I were going to try to win a National Book Award or something like that, I'd have a different answer. But yeah. for what I'm doing, this is working really well. I think it's very important for an author to really know themselves and really know what maybe they might get themselves into in the industry. So then they, they know exactly what kind of partnerships they're willing to work with or not. And I think that was very wise for you to make that decision. I'm, I am on the fence about traditional publishing. I've been swayed back and forth from other authors just by talking to them because my husband was in the, in the music industry, okay. which is a very similar industry. And so we have already gone through years. We had years of before MP3, we did a CD sales contracts, went through the whole thing with management, all of it. So I've already had an experience with that PR individuals and stuff. And honestly, it left me a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> so I can see why. So I've always been like, I don't know, I think I'll self-publish, but we'll see what I end up doing. I feel like the beauty is that nowadays we don't have to rely on one specific path we can take a different path that works for us. So that's the nice thing about it. And I think it's, that's a great point. Jay Thorne, I don't know if you're familiar with them. He has several independent publishing podcasts and things. Mm -hmm. He says time and again, this is a project by project decision. Mm -hmm. Traditional publishers are now a lot more open to hybrid authors, folks who 
perhaps publish one series independently. Maybe it would not have enough of an audience to be profitable for a trad publisher, but then they're willing to maybe publish another series or maybe even under a different pen name yeah. from someone um, and take a trad contract. So it's, it's not really an either or. I've met a, quite a few hybrid authors through the podcast. So like you and I are talking, I've hit over 90 podcast episodes that have been released. I have interviewed other authors that we chose not to release for some reason. But so it's been quite a journey in two years. I love the idea of the hybrid model in the sense that you can make a lot of choices. If you choose to write different genres or you choose to write under a, a different pen name, you have so much flexibility. Sure. Yeah, so that's what's so nice. All righty. So let's dive a little bit deeper into your writing process for your books. And then we'll dive into the one that you want to share with us before that we'll get y'all set up for that. But tell me, David, a little bit about the writing process. Did the idea for the stories just come to you? Were they inspired by something? Did you plot it all out, write it all down? Or did you sit down and just write it and then fill in the pieces as you went? It's really evolved over the years. When I wrote my first book, Rose City Freefall, I didn't have an outline. I didn't have a good understanding of story structure with your first plot point and, and your pinch points and things like that. And so that book was written and rewritten and edited and re-edited as I learned those things. Mm-hmm. And I've written seven books. I've, um, I've published four. The other three, I wouldn't ever ask anybody to read. <laughs> Practice books. Right. Yeah. But now what that's looking like now is I am an outliner. People have that discussion of, do you outline your books or yeah. are you are you a pantser? Do you make them yeah. up as you go along? Yeah. And I would argue that's really not black or white. It's more of a continuum. Some people, mm-hmm. they, they get that idea, they write the first sentence, and then they're just off to the races. Yeah. I've heard an interview with an author who did a 40,000-word outline, and I oh, guess... Boy. At what point? That sounds like a first draft to me, really, you know, and I'm in the middle. I I have an outline of all my major plot points. I know what the end is going to be in my mystery. I knew who the villain was. Mm -hmm. And so I'm painting by numbers that much, but I'm filling in a lot in the middle and and the characters tend to grow and subplots reveal themselves and things like that. So That's where I'm at now. Talk to me in two more books and I may have a completely different different answer. But then again, that's the most exciting part about working on a specific book or project that I'm discovering is that, and every author does do it differently. It's I was talking to another author last night. We were recording her um, podcast episode and we were talking about how it's like an art form, like doing clay or doing pottery or whatever, but you're doing your craft with words, which is exciting, but everybody has a different method. And so it's so fun for readers. I get a lot of comments from readers. They love the part where you authors share the behind the scenes of how it got started for you. (laughs) Yeah. There's really no one right way. If you're, if you're, moving words across the page or across the screen and you're producing something that you can go back and edit and eventually turn into a published manuscript and you're doing it right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like for me, I knew my book was a series of three books following one character through three different parts of her life. I knew the ending of the first book and but nothing else. And so when I got done with writing the first book, I had already had the second book beginning and middle and the third book beginning. 
but I hadn't written it all down yet. So it's interesting because then I went back and as I've been working on the edits of the first book, it's getting a little more refined in the right. sense of, but a lot developed in that writing. Like you said, I had characters that emerged that to become much stronger characters than I ever planned. They just decided that they were going to have a much stronger part in the story, <laughs> which is <Right>. always exciting. <laughs> it's so much fun, you know. It really is. So you sound to me, you're working around crime, mystery, that kind of thing. Do you get inspired by a particular crime or incident that has happened and you're like, I need to know more and then you develop a story based on that? Yeah, I guess this kind of gets down to where do you get your ideas? My my first three books are crime thrillers. After I got out of the military, I, I had a, a brief law enforcement career of a few years mm-hmm. that was not the best place for me. I learned a lot. I did a good job there. What I learned from that is that you can be good at something and have it not be good for you. I understand that. I've had that experience with the job. In the and <laughs> that really informed those first three books I wrote, the Dent Miller series. They're dark books. They're not happy books. And then I wanted to take a break from that. And I found something that fit into my life a little better. Since 2006, when I wrote the first Dent Miller book, I've moved out in the woods. I've become an animal tracker and and things like that. And I was looking for ways to work that into my writing. And that's evolved into what I have going on now. So I keep a lot of notes on missing person cases and search and rescue incidents Mm -hmm. and just weird things that happen in the woods. Mm -hmm. The genesis of this, the beginning of the Valley of Lost Children is, you you may remember this incident that happened a few years ago. There was a young boy that went missing in one of the Carolinas. I don't remember which. Mm -hmm. And he was gone, I think, two nights in temperatures in the 40s, which is very dangerous, particularly for a little kid. And they found him alive and relatively unharmed. He had some bug bites and some scratches. And they said, what happened while you were gone? And he said, a bear took care of me. Interesting. I think I remember the story. (laughs) Yeah. And I can't say he's wrong. Nobody knows what happened. So that was the genesis for the first few chapters of Valley of Lost Children, and it just kind of got weirder from there. (laughs) I love that. It just took a life of its own. See, I'm telling you, there's some weird stuff that happens in the forest. Yeah. (laughs) I know this for a fact. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I love it. So let me ask you this question, David, because I'm not super familiar with it. Is the wilderness mystery genre, is that your own genre? Is that a particular genre that's really out there? You won't find a category for that on Amazon. But it's a thing. There's wilderness or rural mystery. They overlap. If you think about um, William Kent Kruger's Cork O'Connor mystery series that are set up in the uh, Great Lakes area. Mm -hmm. Paul Dwaran's Mike Bowditch is a game warden in Maine. There's Joseph Haywood has a, a... a series with a, a game warden in, again, a Great Lake state, I think Michigan. Mm-hmm. Craig Johnson's Longmire series takes place in kind of that wilderness Montana setting. CJ Box is out in Wyoming. Even the, the Hillerman books down in the, the desert Southwest. So 
there, it's not a it's not like a recognized category on Amazon, but there's mm-hmm. plenty of people out there. My first three books are set in Portland, and oh, um, not wilderness that we know of. Not yeah, and. Uh, most you think if I say the word crime novel, the first thing that pops in your head unconsciously is going to be probably an urban setting, a major city, New York, LA, you yeah, know, absolutely. like that. Yeah, yeah. So even, even setting in Portland, which is a kind of a left turn from the mainstream, but I think there's a hunger for books set in places other than that. It leads you to some different places mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. things like that. So I think it's up and coming. I really do. I have a good friend named Indy Quillen who wrote a book uh, called Tracker. Her series is the Fox Walker series, and it's a, mm-hmm. also a, a tracker, a woodsman-type character. I love the premise. And you know what? You can send me her information, and guys, I'll make sure it gets on show notes so you can, can find her, too, along with David's information on show notes. Because I'll do it. I, I honestly think it's a great setting because, like I said, I'll probably read yours and I'll maybe read a couple of the other ones you said. But I'm totally afraid that if I read them, I may never go hiking again. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, we, I've had moments growing up here in the Northwest, going hunting with my dad and brothers and stuff. I've had moments where I've been terrified that had an instinct feeling that there was something out there that we might come across. We never have, thank goodness. But it's been like a nervous fear I've had my whole life. <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is. But it's you're on your own for yeah. good or bad. Yeah, good yeah. or bad out there for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. All righty. I think you pretty much set the stage to share with us. You're going to read from the Valley of the Lost Children, I believe. And, I am. And David, if you need to set the stage before you start that reading with describing a scene, characters, or whatever, you are so welcome to. And so I will go quiet and let you go ahead and get started. And then I'll take us out of the podcast. Okay. So I'm going to start and just read the first three very short chapters of the book. I asked some friends of mine who were familiar with it, and it was universally the recommendation that I just read at the very beginning. So we don't even need to do any, any setup. So we're going to start at chapter one of The Valley of Lost Children. Katie was a librarian. It wasn't her job to look for missing children, but she did it anyway. She told herself she was just going for a drive, but she knew it wasn't true. She left the city behind and was soon on gravel roads in the state forest. The little car handled poorly on the loose gravel, so she slowed down and gripped the steering wheel tighter. The forests of Washington State weren't her element. She'd grown up on the East Coast in a family she often referred to as avid indoors people. It would be dark soon. A thundercloud bruised the western sky. Katie looked at her cell phone. No service. She had a water bottle and a half-eaten granola bar. As the temperature outside dropped before the oncoming storm, she regretted not bringing a sweater. Since moving here, she'd meant to buy an emergency kit for her car, but every payday she'd put it off one more time. The road ended in a closed gate. She looked down at the Washington State road map opened on the seat beside her. Many of the roads up here didn't even appear on her phone. Cell phone mapping had left her long out of practice reading paper maps. She carefully retraced her turns from the paved road and located her spot on the map. Earlier, Katie had passed Natalie's ramshackle house where a lone sheriff's truck sat outside. Natalie's mother had called, sounding drunk or at least hungover, to see if anyone had seen her seven-year-old daughter at the little library branch in the town of Yackel. 
Natalie's mother was confused about what day it was, as the branch was only staffed on Wednesday, and today was Monday. Katie was miles from Natalie's house, with alternating stands of dense trees and clear cuts in between. There were dozens of forest roads up here. Most of them ended in dead ends. Some were too rough for her car. She'd been driving for hours, meticulously marking each road with a highlighter as she looked for Natalie. I should leave, she said. She had a quarter tank of gas left and hadn't eaten dinner. She thought about Natalie. The little girl would ride her bike for miles just to come into the self-service library branch on the days when Katie stocked it with books. She'd sit in the corner for hours, devouring the new books Katie brought. Katie tried to keep a professional distance from all the kids at the branch, but there was something about Natalie that tugged at her. The kid was special, smart beyond her years, and seemed like an old soul in a young body. At least it was easy to turn around in her little car. As she bounced down the road, she felt sick to her stomach. She slowed to check the map one last time. Maybe there was a side road she'd missed, something she could check on the way out. Katie was grateful she slowed down because a big, brown, knobby-kneed shape materialized in front of her. She slammed on the brakes and had just enough time to catch a flash of white rump patch as the huge animal dove into the thick bushes on the side of the road. Swallowing hard past the lump in her throat, she tried to figure out what she'd just seen. Too big to be a deer, she thought. An elk. That must be what an elk looks like, she said. She started driving again, slower this time. The sky opened up. One second she could see, the next the rain blinded her. Even with the wipers going, she could barely move at a walking speed. The rain reflected the glare from her headlights. She turned on public radio to distract herself. She told herself she would drive to the main road and she would be fine. A shape appeared out of the gloom and she braked, thinking it was another animal. She was only a few feet from it when she realized it was a little girl. It was Natalie, wet, bedraggled, blonde hair, hair trailed behind her as she ran across the road. She wore mismatched pajamas and only one rubber boot. She ran across the road, seeming not to even notice the car that slid to a stop only a foot from her. She disappeared into the tree line on the other side of the road. Katie barely remembered to put the car in park before she jumped out. Natalie, she screamed. A rumble of thunder answered. Katie looked at her phone. Still no service. Think, she said to herself. She could drive to a place with a cell signal. She could drive back to Natalie's house where there was a phone and maybe still a sheriff's deputy. She looked up and down the road trying to find some way to mark this spot. It looked the same as everywhere else up here. Gravel road, trees on both sides. Katie's khaki work pants and polo shirt with a library logo were already soaked from the rain. 20 minutes before, it had been a warm summer evening. Now it felt like it was 20 degrees colder. In her mind, she replayed the gr brief glimpse of Natalie. The girl was soaked already, and it was getting dark. It might be hours before Katie would lead somebody back to this spot. She opened the hatchback of her car. She ignored the voice in the back of her head that told her this probably wasn't a good idea. From the back of the car, she pulled out a gym bag. It was full of clothes, still damp from her morning workout a towel, and a bottle of water. She pulled on the sweaty t-shirt over her polo. It's better than nothing. She slung the bag over her shoulder, shut the car door, and set out into the trees. Chapter 2. 
Ty Kane was listening to this truck stereo and drumming his fingers on the steering wheel when he came around a corner and almost hit the little car parked in the middle of the forest road. His old pickup fishtailed as he slammed on the brakes and he narrowly squeezed past the little compact without running off the road. First, he was irritated. Then he realized no one was in the car and grew concerned. He pulled on a waterproof shell, got out of the truck and circled the car. The hood was still warm and the engine ticked as it cooled. The driver's door was latched, but not completely shut. The inside of the car was tidy with only a purse and an open map on the passenger seat. The right side of the rear bumper had a sticker that said librarian by day, superhero by night. The other side had a sticker that read librarian. I make shh happen. The skid marks in the gravel were easy to read. The car had stopped suddenly. There was no damage to the front end from colliding with an animal. Ty couldn't see any reason for someone to stop here and get out. There was nothing interesting to photograph. Ty was up here scouting for the upcoming bow hunting season, but he doubted the owner of the little sub subcompact was a hunter. It was the wrong season for mushroom hunting, and while the huckleberries were ripening at higher elevations, there was none in this stretch of forest. The coarse gravel showed where the car had skidded, but no footprints. Ty searched the sides of the road. Even though it was still technically daylight, the heavy cloud cover made it hard to see fine detail so he pulled a little flashlight out of his pocket. In a patch of dirt by the side of the road, he found the first tracks. They were child size. One foot was bare. The other looked like it was shod with a boot. Ty cataloged it in his brain, automatically comparing it to the thousands of tracks he'd studied in training or on search and rescue missions. He was confident it was a seven or eight-year-old. He looked across the road, drawing an imaginary line from the track straight across to the other side. It passed right in front of the bumper of the little stopped car. Close one, he said. He walked across the road. The tracks on the other side were easy to see. There were more tracks from the kid and a new set of prints. Ty bent to study him. The details were rapidly disappearing in the driving rain. He guessed there were a women's size eight, some kind of athletic shoe. Ty squatted there looking at the track as the heavy rain ran off the brim of his hat. He didn't understand why a little kid was running through the forest, wearing only one boot and being followed by a woman in tennis shoes, who was apparently a librarian. It wasn't really his job to find out. He just moved here. He wasn't a SAR volunteer anymore. He could just go home and call it in. That would take at least 45 minutes to an hour. Ty didn't even own a cell phone, so he'd have to drive all the way to his house. The tracks would be gone by then. Already, the temperature was falling ahead of the oncoming storm. Even in the height of summer, it was cold here at night. A child could be hypothermic in just a couple of hours. He stood and walked back to his truck. From the passenger seat, he grabbed a lightweight backpack. His revolver and gun belt were locked up in the back. He briefly considered grabbing them. Weird things happened out in the woods sometimes. People felt like they could do whatever they wanted out here. But if he tracked down a scared kid and a woman, showing up with a gun on his hip wasn't likely to make them less afraid. He left the gun behind and started following the trail. Chapter 3. Katie stepped off the road and immediately slipped and fell down the steep bank. The earth, parched from weeks of no rain, couldn't soak up the water fast enough to keep up with the downpour. So the ground underfoot was slick and treacherous. She landed hard on her tailbone and felt the cold water seep into her thin khaki pants. 
She half slid, half scrambled the rest of the way down to the bottom of the embankment and realized she'd see Natalie charge down the slope, but did not understand where she'd gone from there. Footprint, she said, and started casting back and forth, looking for marks on the ground. Katie had little outdoor experience. She lived on the East Coast her whole life and had only moved to Washington State three years ago. She'd make the drive to the library branch in the little town of Yackel, look at the forested mountains, and resolve to try hiking someday. There was just so little time left after work, getting settled into a new pace and other pursuits. She looked at the woods in front of her. She was in a little depression with water flowing. What would you call it? A gully? A swale? It probably wasn't big enough to be called a canyon. The trees up by the road were big evergreens, regularly spaced. Down here, the woods were different. Dense, small trees grew so thick it didn't even look like she would fit between them. She found what looked like a path. She doubted it was a hiking trail. More likely, it was made by animals. But there in the center were the clear imprints of some little toes. Katie worried for the first time about getting lost. She realized the water was running out of a culvert under the road, and her car was parked just over it. She reasoned that if she kept the water in sight, she could backtrack her way to the car. She didn't know what she would do if Natalie led her on a wild chase away from the water. Katie looked around, trying to fix an image of the different hilltops and peaks in her mind. They all looked the same. She took a deep breath and plunged into the woods. Oh, my goodness. I love Katie. (laughs) My kind of girl. I love it. No, that's fantastic. And it's really evident that you have spent some time out in the forest because your descriptions are just really, really spot on. If you haven't ever been in the forest, you can see it. I've seen it. So I'm like, I love this. This is great. So I'm definitely going to have to finish the book because I got to know what happens to the poor librarian and children. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah I have uh, a soft spot for librarians. Oh. I had one in my childhood was pivotal for me. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, my good friend who's also an author, Brian Hosevar, is a librarian in Kentucky and he, he does a lot of good public service. So um, I've I've got a soft spot for library. Well, I appreciate you writing her in. It's so much fun because when people meet me and they see me, they're like always shocked. What? You're a librarian. And I'm like, (laughs) yes, it's so much fun to break stereotypes, but librarians are probably some of the most giving serving individuals I know. And luckily for me, I've had a great career and I get to work in academic work but I would love to just be the author's librarian for all the authors out there. So cool. <laughs> be awesome. David, it's so awesome to get to know you, hear your stories. As we close out the podcast, currently we're still in standstill with the whole um, stay-at-home order COVID world. But do you do author readings or public events that if we do get to open up, people can follow on your, your accounts and find out more about I haven't yet, but I'm hoping once once we do open back up, I, I the second Taikan mystery should come out in early to mid 2021, and I'm hoping by then we'll have something to where I can do some public readings and things like that. So okay. I'm on Facebook and Twitter, okay. and I just started Instagram. Instagram's my favorite, so okay. I'll make sure I follow you on it. It's where I live. I have both accounts too, but I love Instagram. <laughs> so hopefully by the time this airs, my Instagram will be up and running. I post a lot of pictures of the local area. Nice, um, nice. Yeah, yeah good. So. Hopefully by uh, the time book number two comes out early next year, I should have something going on for some readings. 
So listeners, it's up to you to stay in touch with David, get on his website, follow him on Instagram when he gets up there, give him some love there. It's a new, for some people, it's a scary medium. Mine was Twitter. I didn't really care for Twitter. So I had to really embrace Twitter and follow him, buy his books. And most importantly, if you hear him on this podcast, let him know you heard him on the podcast. If you purchase his book because you heard this, let him know where they that you've heard it from because it's so important for us as authors that we know where we've been found. It's so exciting to us. Send him an email, send him a chat. And before we go out, David, I'm going to, I'm going to plug a little bit about myself. I never do this on the podcast. I think we're going to be heading into episode almost hundred and I'm going to do a little plug. As you guys are going um, on to download David's episode, you'll be seeing a new thing that says, Buy me a cup of coffee. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, you can pop onto my support link and you can show me some love by sending me coffee love. A small amount, buy me a cup of coffee to keep going. That's all I care about is coffee these days. (laughs) Also on that support site, I'm going to be uploading some never seen before footage because a lot of my authors come on, David, you We chose not to go on camera, but a lot of authors do get the opportunity to come on camera. And I haven't shown any of that yet. So that footage, I'm going to start posting up there as I start getting um, supporters. So if you're interested, you guys go buy me a cup of coffee. So David, it has been a joy having you here. And when you get your second book out, we'll bring you back on for the Thai King Mysteries. By then I should have read the first one. (laughs) That sounds great. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll see you again. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.